1: Although Rainesville made it difficult to complete, softball dominated a soggy Gainesville Regional and hosts a familiar foe in Super Regional action this weekend. On this week's show, we'll begin with our roundtable discussion as FloridaGators.com senior writers Chris Harry and Scott Carter cover the All-SEC Super Regional against A&M, baseball's sudden adversity, a new in-state rivalry for football, men's basketball returning to NYC, long-term stability for the track and field program another SCC All-Sports Award for the Gators, and more. Plus, hot off the heels of her no-hitter in regionals, we'll hear Alicia Ocasio reflect on her greatest moments from a championship career. But first, while numbers can often lie, sometimes they hit the nail right on the head. As we opened up this week's roundtable, Chris used a few stats to illustrate the remarkable dominance of the softball program in regional play.
2: They've advanced out of every regional. They've hosted a regional every year since 2013. They're 18 and one over that time, outscored opponents along the way, 129 to five. Wow. And in, in the regional last week, Tim Walton decided to throw his ace, Kelly Barnhill against Bethune Cookman in the first game. Uh, she hadn't had any work. Um, I believe it had been eight days since her previous pitch. She, she threw, I believe it was four innings and they brought in Alicia Casio to wrap things up for another two innings or whatever. And they no hit Bethune Cookman. Uh, next day, uh, again, uh, Kelly Barnhill, she gave up, uh, she gave up a couple runs, including a home run, as she's wont to do, as we know. Gators fell behind two nothing, but ended up coming back to take the lead three to two in the, uh, in the fifth and then rolled for seven runs in the sixth inning and do a mercy rule job. On them as they did the, uh, the uh, Bethune-Cookman the day before. And then comes um, Sunday, Alicia D'Ocasio, uh who you obviously have spoken with uh, for this show. And she throws the first um, full-game no-hitter, seven-inning no-hitter in Gator history. And when you think about that, you know, the, the parade of All-American pitchers that have come through here. The, the mismatches that Florida has had in some NSA tournament plays, given their high seed, their normal high seed Uh, That's quite an accomplishment for her. She had her her location working, she had her off speed working, and here's Ohio State who, you know, probably felt pretty good about, you know, tagging uh, Kelly Barnhill, you know, for a couple runs the day before, and now they just get the whole change of pace. You know, Elisei works much faster than Kelly Barnhill. Um, She works at different planes and has that wicked change up, and Kelly Barno has a nasty change up too, but we're just talking about two different levels of pitchers, as you know, rise ball pitcher versus a location and a low ball pitcher, so she was terrific. Uh, Gators are playing very well, and here we go uh, on to super regional play. Texas A&M uh, coming into Gainesville. Florida beat them. I believe the scores were 6-1, 10 and 7-3 in their three-game series against the Aggies during the regular season, but in just talking to the the girls this week and talking to the coach, you don't take anything for granted. As you remember, a couple of years ago, uh, Florida was, uh, uh, I believe, ranked number one or two when Georgia mm-hmm. came here for the Super Region, and Georgia took both games, including a walk-off that very abruptly and very uh, uh, sadly ended the careers of some very good players like, uh, like Kelsey Stewart uh, and Aubrey Monroe on a very sad day at Presley Stadium. So, now taken taking for granted the Gators know they have to hit, they have to pitch and I think they will this week. Um this is a very very good team, very good defensive team and a and a team that is uh built for a um a super regional kind of kind of event.
1: When talking to to coach Walton, I'm curious what he had to say about facing a team you're so familiar with, the, the pros and cons of being in this type of super regional that that Florida is.
2: <laughs> I don't know who else should hit. it's just the nature of the of the conference also, you look at, uh, there's, there's 16 teams left. Nine of them are SEC teams. Very I mean, true. It, it almost wouldn't matter who, if, if it's not Texas AM, and it could have been Kentucky. It could have been uh, Tennessee. It could have been Georgia. Um, it's just uh, this, uh, I think Amanda Lorenz is one of the best uh, talkers on this team. And in terms of perspective and going into the NCAA tournament last week, she was just talking about how they, they had just won the, the SEC. Okay. The SEC tournament and they hadn't won the SEC tournament since, uh, was it 2013, I believe, and someone asked her about that, and she said, well, winning three games in a weekend isn't as impressive as winning 20 games during the SEC. She goes, basically, during the SEC season, we play a super regional every weekend, mm-hmm. and and there's something to that when you think about it. Every team in the SEC made the NSA tournament. Now, four didn't survive it this past weekend, but Nine did. Uh, Chances are the Gators were going to play someone that they'd already played. Plus, they play a great schedule. There's some other teams left that Florida's already played this season. So, um, you know, all all these great teams that are left probably have some element of familiarity with Kelly Barnhill and Alicia Casio, given the fact that the Gators have, you know, they play all the great teams over the course of the season, probably over the course of the last couple seasons. The teams that have left have seen these these players play. So Florida's at home. They'll have great crowds out there. Let's hope the weather uh, is, is is accommodating. Never know. Uh, probably won't be. Uh, but uh, I think this team's ready um, to make a run back to Oklahoma City.
1: As you noted, Super Regionals, it's not going to be easy no matter who you're playing. But the idea for this team is that experience will show through, especially with that senior class.
2: Yeah, and I, I actually wrote a story about that last week, and he actually said there's basically no circumstance that they hadn't dealt with from the ecstasy to the disappointment, and you know, there are four players from this team that were freshmen on the uh, on the last college world series team. That would be Nicole DeWitt, that would be Alicia Dicasio, that'd be Janelle Wheaton and Kaylee Kavistad. So uh that's some stuff you can lean on this time of year. Um Nicole DeWitt, uh, I still remember, and you you obviously remember Adam being out there. That big hit she had, uh, the walk-off against Auburn, I believe it was in the ninth inning, so two extra innings into Mm -hmm. the, uh, against Auburn, where Justin McClain scored from second base, and that put them in the championship series for the second year in a row. And, um, you know, for a freshman to perform like that on, on the biggest stage was, was really, really cool, I believe. Uh, I believe Kaylee Cavista hit a home run in that in that series. I think Nicole DeWitt had a uh, home run against LSU in that same series. And of course, Alicia Dicasio, as a freshman, pitched her brains out in a game that she probably had no reason uh being so clutch in being that game one game against Michigan when uh Lauren Hager was just spent. they couldn't they couldn't pitch her again. and uh they needed something from Alicia Dicasio. She gave them five great innings. Uh, obviously, gave way to Delaney Gorley at that time, who had done kind of the same thing the year before as a freshman, if I recall correctly, against uh, in the championship series the year before against Alabama. So uh, uh, you know, this is a, this is a battle-tested bunch, and I, uh, I threw uh, Janelle Wheaton in there as the other senior. She's really an anchor for as she's a terrific catcher, left-handed, uh, experienced. She's really really tough. A couple times in the game last week in the same game in the in the sec- in the first Ohio State game. She took two foul balls uh, off her body, both in places where she wasn't, didn't have pads. And they had to stop the game, and she had tears in her eyes. But both times, she put her mask back on and got right back at it. So uh, it's a very tough team. They're a reflection of their coach. There's nothing they haven't been through. And they're excited, I think, about going through it one last time. I, I will say that as soon as this uh, series is over, um, come what may, they're going to trash the stadium as we know it and uh, start in on uh, that $10 million upgrade on uh, Presley Stadium. So uh, hopefully they can send Presley Stadium as we know it out on a winning note this weekend.
1: So softball, obviously, trying to get into the World Series. Baseball is not there yet. They're at the SEC tournament as we speak. And by the time people hear this, who knows what status they'll be in during that crazy tournament. But looking bigger picture, Scott, kind of an interesting time for baseball. They just got swept at Mississippi State, albeit nothing really on the line at that point. Everything was wrapped up and they went with some, some secondary arms. But then the news about J.J. Schwartz getting hurt and you know being in a little bit of a difficult position. So I guess it's not as smooth sailing that they would want at this moment and uh, some adversity for them to overcome as they start to begin their back-to-back campaign.
3: Oh, you're exactly right, Adam. It's really the first adversity they had all season. Uh, this is a team that wrapped up the uh, SEC regular season title with a week left and then uh, they had to go to Mississippi State to close the regular season and, and they got swept and, you know, it started, the series started off on kind of an ominous tone because, you know, Brady Singer, their top starter, SEC pitcher of the year, they scratched him late just due to a hamstring issue right before the game. They got outscored, uh, in the series by about 15 runs and it, it didn't look good. They didn't play the kind of ball that, that they have all season as really the number one ranked team almost from, Uh, start to finish, but Kevin O'Sullivan had talked in recent weeks, you know, because everything was going smooth, and you know how coaches are, they want to guard against getting complacent. That can be hard when you've done what the Gators have done this season, but if they did hit a wall, it was right at the end, and, uh, you know, they lost the final home game of the the regular season against Georgia, and they get swept, so here they are going into the SEC tournament on a four-game losing streak, and this is a club that had not lost more than back-to-back games all season. And they only did that twice. So to be able to do that through a 56-game regular season, that's pretty impressive. It just shows how consistent they were. And uh, so now there's a there's a little, I guess, angst among the fan base. You know, as they, it doesn't really matter what they do up in Hoover. I mean, a lot of people think their resume is going to hold as the number one overall seed, regardless. They like uh, where they are. They're obviously going to host a... A regional and a super regional if they keep uh, playing that far so they can get to Omaha through home. But, uh, I think right now, if you talk to Kevin O'Sullivan and the players, they're wanting to, uh, you know, just think come home feeling a little bit better about themselves. I don't think there's any panic or anything, but you just don't want to stay on a losing streak too long. And some things that have been really good all year. Injuries, for instance, you mentioned JJ Swartz. He's got a broken hand after a foul ball hit him on the right hand. Uh, Kind of a a little break in there That's going to keep him out of the SEC tournament He's officially listed day to day They're hoping that you know he can get Back when they come home but I mean you're losing Him that's a big part of your order I think Brady Singer from all indications are They're just being conservative with his Hamstring Uh, you know he's going to play A big role for this team for them to do Anything and install a tournament And then Michael Byrne the closer I mean he Had a couple of tough outings in Mississippi State Uh, We haven't seen that so more than anything, Adam, they just got to get, I think, some things fixed, and they're hoping to do that up, uh, up at the tournament. I
1: feel like it's been a couple weeks since we, we had any football news, so we, we've got some to put in the mix, and that is some scheduling news, albeit with football, when you find out about scheduling, it tends to be things very far in the future, and that was the story this week with uh, USF coming back on the Gators schedule. which And you noted this, Scott, on Twitter. Uh, I remember being at that game. Might be the hottest I've ever been oh. in my life. I think you said that uh, you may not have stopped sweating yet from that game, which was, I think, was that 2010?
3: Yeah, 2010, which, you know, is the only meeting between the two programs since USF cranked up their football program back in 1997. And the, the, the deal this week was announced where the Bulls are going to come up here twice Uh, starting in 2022. I think the Gators go down to Tampa 2023, and I think it's back up at the Swamp, uh, in 2025. So it's a span of four years where they're going to play three times. And I've always been a big fan of these in-state rivalries. I mean, obviously the Gators play FSU every year. They've got Miami coming up in 19. Uh, now you add USF in the mix. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe they'll get, Uh, UCF in there at some point. Again, it's been a while since I played them. But uh, that one game that we referenced, that was in 2010. And a quick little story about that, Adam, that was my first game in this job. I started this job that week, and Mm -hmm. it was the hottest game I think I've ever been to in the swamp, and I've been to uh, quite a few like you have. And the weirdest thing about that, I'll never forget this as long as I live. Again, I remember I, I was covering USF for the Tampa Tribune. That's right. That whole fall before that second game of the season. So I just spent, you know, basically several weeks around USF and Skip Holtz and knew those guys. Knew nothing about the Gators, but I was the <laughs> new Gators beat rider uh, I remember doing a story that week. I went down and talked to Urban Meyer about his relationship with Skip Holtz, and uh, they actually had been buddies since they were both uh, – at Notre Dame, uh, as young guys uh, working under Lou Holtz, so it's funny how things uh, all all come around in a circle eventually.
1: Moving over to some men's basketball news, uh, Madison Square Gardens becomes sort of a, a second home for the Gators recently. Chris and word came out earlier this week that they're going to return there again uh, to participate in the Jimmy V Classic. I tell
2: you what, this non-conference schedule for the Gators—the word that uh, Florida will be going back to New York. Uh, I believe came out a couple of weeks ago on some, I believe ESPN may have, may have reported or what have you, but the Gators have been in the Jimmy V obviously before. Certainly they've been at Madison square garden the, the last few years, or certainly they've been up in New York, in the New York area. The last few years, uh, uh, last year they were in uh, Newark to play uh, Cincinnati. And just what turned out to be an excellent game and game Gators, I believe won 66, 60 Chris Gioza scored last points of a tie game, last six points of a tie game. But a uh, year before, uh, obviously, the Gators made it to the uh, Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight at Madison Square Garden, which was three months after they played a Duke in, I believe, that was the Coaches vs. Cancer Classic. And they've been in the Jimmy V before, back in um, when uh, Billy Donovan, during the Final Four team, I believe, played Memphis up there. So, yeah, uh, the Gotham Gators have gotten their fill Of, uh, some trips from the Florida basketball team. Um, I guarantee though, they'll be representing when, um, Florida goes up to play West Virginia. An interesting thing about this, and I, and I started this by talking about the non-conference schedule. We've, they already announced that there's a home and home series on the horizon with Butler, which will be the, the first year will be a home game against Butler in December of this year. Well, we're going to find out when the non-conference schedule is released, Adam, that this game against West Virginia, which I believe will be on a, either Monday or Tuesday night in Massacre Garden. And then five or six days later on whatever that Saturday is, the Gators are going to be playing Michigan State at home. So that's quite a week of non-conference basketball for this this program. And um, uh, I know it's a long way off, but basketball fans are listening. They've got to be excited about the steps that this program has taken in terms of playing a really tough non-conference schedule, which always bears fruit when the selection committee uh, starts shuffling through resumes and starts seeding the tournament in March.
1: well, And the work toward building that team has already begun in earnest, I know. And you wrote about this earlier this week on the brand new Florida Gators.com, but uh, specifically new assistant coach Al Pinkins really getting in the mix with the bigs who a uh, few of whom are now cleared to play, who we haven't seen in a while.
2: Yeah. Al, P- Al Pinkins will coach the university of Florida uh, frontline players, the, the bigs and, um, Last year, um, you know, this was a perimeter-oriented team. I don't think there's any, there's nobody who would, who would deny that. Um, Florida ranked 268th out of 351 Division One teams. Adam, in two-point field goal percentage, 47.4, and uh, that, uh, they were next to the last in the league in two-point field goal percentage. Uh, that speaks to what's going on. Obviously, the closer you get to the basket, the Gators were 292nd overall nationally. In their percentage of points from inside the three-point arc, so it's going to be an emphasis all off-season. Al Pinkins was a guy who he was at LSU in uh, 2015-16, uh, coaching Ben Simmons, who obviously became the number one pick in the draft and will be the uh, will be the NBA rookie of the year this season. He was at Ole Miss before that and helped groom a couple players up in their front court. Murphy Holloway was a first-team All-SEC player. Uh, Reginald Buckner was a first, or excuse me, an all-defensive team player. Those two guys were on the Marshall Henderson team that beat the Gators for the SEC tournament championship in 2013. So he knows how to do how to how to work with guys. And uh, Kavaris Hayes, Dante Bassett, those guys, you know, obviously need some help. They need help finishing. Now on the court is uh, Isaiah Stokes, who still can't go full court yet, but he can do half court stuff and play. And he's moving around. He's out there. He missed all last season with his coming off knee surgery. Chase Johnson missed all but four games due to concussions and what have you. He's in terrific shape. Preston Green has done an amazing job building that kid's body. Um, but they're all on the floor. Uh, Gak is another maybe two weeks away from from starting to run, but he's sitting there watching some of the uh, hands on drills that are going on that Al Pinkins is uh, is teaching these guys. So. That's going to be, uh, uh, like I say, it's a point of emphasis all during the offseason. And Mike White really thinks that, um, the depth, uh, of front court guys he has, assuming he keeps them all healthy. And obviously Florida was in a pinch last year with their lack of, um, lack of just bodies. Gak was hurt all year. They didn't have the two freshmen and Johnny Bunu, you know, never played, you know, one minute for the team. So, um, they hope that's going to be a different uh, set of circumstances as far as being able to go big if need be. Uh, next year, but uh, it's kind of exciting, Adam. It's May, and we're you know we're getting you know we're talking a little bit of basketball. So you know that's a, that's kind of this is a podcast after my own heart a little bit. <laughs>
1: There's no question about that. You know it's interesting. We had Coach Walton on last week, and one of the things we talked to him about was the uh, incredible wealth of great coaches that Florida has, and how they feed off each other. And, and one of those uber successful coaches is going to be here now for a a very long time. Uh, it was announced this week that Mike Holloway. Uh, more affectionately known as Mouse, has signed a long-term deal that Scott. It looks like is going to keep him with the Gators probably through the end of his career.
3: Yeah, he talked about basically uh, wanting to finish his career here. Uh, went over earlier this week and met with uh, Coach Holloway in his office and uh, you know talked to him about the story and you know how it came about and you know it was a case of where you know he's done so much at Florida. And he's kind of had people inquire about him, perhaps looking elsewhere over the years. You know, what else can you do with Florida? He started getting some of that again and him and Strickland worked out a deal. Basically, Scott Strickland said, we want you to be our coach. I certainly want you to be our track coach as long as I'm here. And he says, well, I don't want to leave. And they, they agreed to this new 10 year contract extension. And, you know, this is a come, a, what a big season it's already been for the track program. The men and women both won the SEC Outdoor Championships uh, up at uh, in Knoxville earlier this month. First time in program history both the men and women have won it. The men claimed the NCAA Indoor Championship earlier uh, this spring. And, of course, both teams are going to be in the hunt for the NCAA Outdoor uh, Championships in early June out in uh, Eugene, Oregon. And all you need to know about Mike Holloway, I mean, the numbers, they all he's, – he's had so many All-Americans and – it coached in the olympics coached the uh, world-class athletes uh internationally but he's won eight national titles uh the men have under his tenure since 2010 and no other program on campus uh, has more than seven and that's the uh, women's tennis program and roland thornquist has four of those and i think andy brandy has the other three uh so mike holloway you know he's in first place all by himself he's the only coach uh what eight national titles and still working on more. Maybe a chance to add to that this year, and uh, he certainly accomplished a lot in his time here.
1: We talk a lot on this podcast about the, the dominance of the Florida program in the SEC, and and that's not just conjecture because this is the official podcast of the Florida Gators. It's because it's backed up by the results. And In line with that, this week we found out that the Gators once again have won the SEC All-Sports Award. That is 12 years in a row as the top program in in the conference. And when you look at some of the other schools in the SEC, Scott, and the success that they've had, it really goes to show how well rounded Florida's program is and how the success really extends across every part of campus.
3: Yeah, that's really the signature of this athletic department. You know, obviously, the majority of fans out there are going to get probably most excited when the football team or the men's basketball team wins a national title. Of course, last year it was baseball, but. But one thing I've learned is there's so many Gator fans out there who really do follow all these programs uh, across the board, and even myself. I mean, I'll be honest with you: when I took this job, I wasn't quite aware of how good some of these programs were, and that was something that Jeremy Foley, that was important to him, to provide resources to every program not on campus, not just uh, big money ones. And then Scott Strickland has continued that, and. Uh, you know, just for instance, you know, Caleb Dressel, the swimmer, a great swimmer, national champion of Florida. I mean, he's going to be the face of the Olympics, as we've talked about that uh, for American swimming as, on this show. Uh, a gymnast, Alex McMurtry, without question, one of the most impressive athletes I've covered, not only in what her sport is, gymnastics, but just as an overall student and person. Uh, you know, I could go down the list, and name more. Uh, but that's what makes this place special and they win. You know, great coaches, great recruiting, getting the right people, uh, great team chemistry. And, uh, you add all that up, uh, Adam, you're going to, you're going to have streaks like, uh, like we just mentioned in the all sports award. I mean, that's 12 straight years, you know, six SEC team titles this year. You want to know something that's pretty interesting to me or impressive. The Gators have had at least one SEC team title now for 40 straight years in some sport. Wow. I mean, obviously most years it's multiple sports, but that's 40 straight years at least some team on campus has claimed the SCC title.
1: For our PAT this week, I want to look at the success of the Vegas Golden Knights, and it's caught a lot of people by surprise. Some wonder, is it good, is it bad that a team can start up and be this good this quickly? But it made me think about you guys and your vast experience that you have. Uh, you've covered a lot of teams. I'm sure many that have been surprises for a lot of different reasons. And I'm curious, which ones stand out to you as maybe the most surprising team that you've covered in your career?
2: Before I answer that, I just say, the rules of expansion have really, really evolved over the years in just about every sport when you think about it, because I think the advent of, of free agency and what have you, it's, just, it's, it's easier to, to get good fast. I know, remember, Jaguars and the Panthers both made their... Conference championship games in their second season mm-hmm. um, back in, I believe that was 1996. And that was a big surprise and obviously a big deal back then. And neither of those teams made it to the Super Bowl, but they both played, they both came within one game of going to the Super Bowl. For me, it's a pretty easy question because it, it, uh, nobody would have expected it. And this is something that obviously a lot of people listening here will be able to relate to it. It's the 94 uh, Florida basketball team um, that went to the Final Four. They had gone to, uh, three NCAA tournaments in their history, uh, at that point. The people that followed the team back then will, will tell you, well, they had Craig Brown, they had Dan Cross, and they had Demetri Hill, and they had Andrew DeClerc and Brian Thompson. That's your starting five right there. But none of those players were marquee recruited players. And there they were. Um, I think they tied with Kentucky in their division. Arkansas won the, uh, won the SEC that year, I believe. Um, they made it to their finals. They, I mean, they, they had a bunch of big wins during their season, and just started just kind of inching into the um, into the conversation in terms of rankings. I remember Joel Glass was the SI, SID back then, and he was so excited uh, when Florida won a particular game that got and got to number twenty-four because he goes because the top twenty-five teams get their highlights on ESPN Sports Center every <laughs> night. Now every highlights on Sports Center, or whatever, but right. the team was just was fun to watch. Not a lot of great players. There wasn't any one guy that dominated Dan Cross made this incredible step from his sophomore year to his junior year to become an all conference guard and one of the best players in the league. They had roles that they that they filled without being superstars. They ended up beating UConn in overtime because Danielle Marshall, who was a lottery pick and a first-team All-American and a superstar, missed two free throws with two and a half seconds left in a in a basketball game that allowed Florida to get into overtime and end up winning by nine points. But nobody expected that team to make any kind of run in the NCAA tournament. It was a big deal when they when they went to the Sweet 16 and to go to their first Final Four. They played the Duke team with uh, Grand Hill and with Cherokee Park's and I believe they were leading that Duke team by 11 points at one time and ended up losing the game by five. So that was a, a an incredible achievement. Lon Kruger did a spectacular job with that team. I think what it did also is kind of set a, a, a unreal expectation in terms of the standard at that time for the team because the next year everyone thought, because remember this was an uneducated fan base when it came to basketball i'm sorry that might be an affront to some but oh wow we went to final four last year Uh, four or five starters are back plus we got a really good recruit coming in so you know we're going to go back to the final four well they found out quickly that it really didn't work like that and you know two years later Lon kruger was gone and billy donham was here with a with a roster that just wasn't very good and they started all over so uh that was a time that I, that that was a really fun run that you just absolutely did not expect. And I imagine out there in Vegas, my goodness gracious, that must be some kind of party for those people out there. And uh, it's a it's certainly a, a story that I'm going to follow throughout the rest of the Stanley Cup playoffs.
3: Good question, Adam. I'll, I'll start with the Gator team. And it's, it's kind of on the negative side, because I think if you were to ask a lot of people, I think the 2017 Gator surprised a lot of people in a bad way. I mean, I didn't obviously expect a four and seven season last year. Uh, no bowl game. You know, that's, that's hard to predict when you're coming off back to back SCC titles. Uh, just a lot of things went wrong last year for the Gators. Obviously the coaching change with Jim McElwain. I couldn't, I didn't see it coming. I, I knew they probably could easily have a, a year with, you know, maybe they didn't get back to the SCC title game. Uh, but you just don't expect many losing seasons in Florida. And that was their second in five years, but uh, they're they're working to change that. Dan Mullen's working to change that, and I know those other folks who might be listening to this who was as surprised as I was. Uh, they're hoping that that gets turned around. Now, on the flip side, really, uh, I've covered a lot of different kind of teams in my career. I've had some really really bad teams, like most of my time covering the the Tampa Bay Devil Rays before they actually got Rays and huh. got good. Uh, but Tampa Bay Lightning I was actually one of the beat writers uh, covering them in 2004 for the Tampa Tribune and uh, man that was fun going into that year that that was a, a scheme that had been building to that point with with guys like uh, Marty St. Louis, Vinny LeCavier, Frederick Nikolai Hobby, Bull, and the uh, goaltender and John Tortorella was obviously the, the guy directing the ship and He's about as fiery as any coach I've ever encountered in any sport. And uh, it, the players and him, they butted heads a lot for the couple of years leading up to 2004. But when they got into postseason that year, they were playing so well. And then they beat the Calgary Flames in the final. And uh, one of the moments i always remember in my sports writing career is up in Calgary at the Saddledome, Game 6, overtime. Uh, St. Louis scores that game-winner in overtime, sends it back to Tampa for Game 7. And, you know, Ruslan Fedetinko scored two goals in, in Game 7 to give Lightning the Cup. And Tampa became a hockey town. How about that, Adam? Yeah. Tampa hockey town. And, you know, they of course, the thing that I really look back on that, you know what really impacted that franchise about as great as any reigning champion ever was? Not only did they not get invited to the White House, they didn't even play the whole next season because of the lockout.
1: That's right. But That's right. They
3: missed, yeah, they missed that chance to bring that team back and maybe go back to back. And then they were still competitive for another year or two. But slowly, those guys like Dave Anderchuk, some of the veterans, Tim Taylor, faded away. And and they had to rebuild. But boy, they've certainly done a good job of uh, rebounding uh, under Steve Eiserman and, and Dan Mullen now is going to try to get the Gators rebounding.
1: Well, we certainly appreciate both you guys uh, pulling from your perspective and your history to help deliver that PAT this week, and we encourage people to keep track of what you're doing this week, because this weekend, softball has got Super Regionals Thursday through potentially Saturday. Chris will have that covered. Scott will be on top of baseball in particular at the SEC tournament as long as they do last, and then, of course, talking about Regionals next week for them. So a lot going on. Make sure to follow Gators Chris, Gators Scott, and check out all of their stuff on floridagators.com. Gentlemen, thank you so much as always. All right. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Adam. The history of Florida softball is littered with great pitchers, but not many also played all around the field and had some of their biggest moments at the plate. Alicia Acasio has done it all for the Gators during her All-American career, and given what she has accomplished in regionals, her best work may still be ahead of her. We began our chat with the senior by asking what worked so well for her in her record breaking no hitter against the Buckeyes.
0: Throwing an out hitter, you know, is really hard to do in the postseason and you know, looking back, you know, some pitchers have done it, like Laney Gorley has done it five innings. Me and Kelly have both done it combined innings, but I'm just glad to be able to have helped my team throughout, you know, that game. And they played phenomenal defense behind me. So it's not just my no-hitter. I I believe it's our no-hitter. You know, I'm I'm honored to have been able to do that.
1: And you had just seen Ohio State the day before. So what did you think you were able to do (laughs) to be able to still be that deceptive, even seeing them uh, a second time?
0: You know, everybody's preparing for Kelly and she has a very deceiving rise ball. So I think that in preparing for Kelly... It gave me sort of an advantage because we're opposite pitchers. She pitches more up in the zone, and I'm more down in the zone. You know, my most effective pitch, obviously, is a drop ball, which is off speed. So I think that really, in turn, helped me.
1: When you've got a no-hitter going, how aware are you that that's Mm -hmm. happening? And do you have any superstitions that you you try and follow when that's going on?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I can't say that I have any superstitions, but it's hard for a pitcher not to say that they're not thinking about it you know, I was a little bit, but I was honestly just trying to compete every single pitch. That's really all I was trying to do.
1: You did that after a seven-hour rain delay, and I know over a four-year career and and playing softball in Florida your whole life, you're used to rain delays, but for seven hours when you got a really big game to play like that, what are you you guys doing in the locker room to try and stay loose and, and try and stay
0: entertained? You know, a rain delay is hard for both teams, both Ohio State and And us as well. Luckily, you know, we were able to host and we could go home for a couple hours, get some food and be back at the field later. Um, it's hard, um, obviously to have to wait that long, but no excuse. We're still going to have to come back out there and play. Um, we just, we're in locker room playing games and listening to music and just enjoying each other's company and getting our minds right for the game.
1: What's your favorite rain delay game to play with, uh, with your, your teammates?
0: I don't know that I have a favorite, but. We've recently started playing this one game called Signs. There's one person in the middle and everybody's surrounding them in a circle and everybody has their own sign and we have to pass the signs along and the person in the middle cannot see us pass it. And if they find out who has the sign, they tag us out and they're it. So It's a pretty confusing game at first, but it was really fun.
1: <laughs> if we can take things back a little bit, can you tell us about your family and where you grew up?
0: My mom's family is mostly from Virginia. My dad's family's from Puerto Rico, but you know, I'm from Long Island originally. I was born there and probably moved to Florida around age of seven. My, both parents grew up playing sports. My mom was a cheerleader. I did some other things. My dad played baseball. So I was around him when he was playing softball and baseball throughout, um, you know, my teenage years. And I just kind of grabbed the ball and started pitching on the side all the time with my dad. And eventually, you know, people were like, you know, you should play in Little League. So I did that. And honestly, that's, that's how the story went.
1: So did you automatically want to be a pitcher or were you hitting first? Cause you're, I want to talk in a second about the fact that you do both, but which one were you more interested in when you first started playing?
0: Um, I don't know if there's an interest in just pitching or hitting or fielding, but when I started playing softball, I was, I was, I remember it was um in Orlando for this little league. I was catching, I was playing shortstop, I was pitching, um, pretty much playing everywhere. I think, you know, that young people were just moving around and shifting and seeing where they fit best. But growing up, I played, I was a shortstop pitcher um, utility. So whenever I wasn't pitching, I played shortstop, but if they put me anywhere else, that's where I played. But I, I hit, played the field and pitched my whole life. I've
1: heard that you have uh, a lot of different gloves when you come to the field. How many gloves, <laughs> what's the most gloves you've ever had during your Gator career? And how many do you currently have now?
0: Right now, I use three. I have a pitching glove, an outfield glove, and an infield glove. But I think it was last year where we ordered five gloves. <laughs> um, I had a first baseman's mitt just in case I needed to, you know, hop on over there on the other hot corner. And I outfield infield. I think I had two pitching gloves. Never had a catcher's glove, but you know, I sent Coach Walton a video. I think it was before after my sophomore year. I sent him a video of me catching uh, one of my pitching lessons and he said, we're going to have to, you know, scan the bullpen um, in the fall. So we both giggled about that, but it never happened.
1: So during your recruitment, obviously you didn't have to go very far to end up in Gainesville. Uh, but what, what were the key selling points of the Florida program when it was time for you to make that decision?
0: Well, obviously in either one of the, you know, in the top 10 universities in the nation, that itself is just amazing. So that, was definitely a point of interest and I wanted to compete for a national championship and you know I love the coaching staff and the girls were so welcoming and showed so much hospitality while I came on my visit and ultimately you know the players talking to me about the program and how much pride they have to wear a gator across their chest was just breathtaking and I just I wanted to wear the gator uniform myself so I committed and here I am.
1: When you said your goal was to win a national championship, and you did that very quickly, actually. In your first year, you came in and, and won a national title as a freshman. So how high of a bar do you feel like that's set for you going forward? Was it difficult to have so much success your first year and then try and follow that as you carried on?
0: You know, we talked about it multiple times. My class came in winning a national championship in 15 and then not making it to the World Series the next year and then losing the championship. So I feel like we're pretty dynamic as a senior class and that makes us hungry. So we're ready to just play our first game of Super Regionals and not take anything lightly and, you know, just, just take it from there. But, you know, like I said, we're, we're really hungry for it and we're just going to work our butts off to get there again to give ourselves another chance.
1: Coach Walton said after your performance on Sunday, it was the best he'd seen from you other than your win in game one of the finals against Michigan back when you were a freshman. Going back to that and and trying to get into that headspace for us, what do you remember about pitching in such a huge game as a freshman? Because it was a a surprise to so many people when your name was on the lineup card that night.
0: In that moment, he told me the night before and I was just trying to get my mind right watching video and just trying to calm my heartbeat down, but of course I was nervous. That's probably one of the biggest platforms that you can get on in the sport of softball and college softball. So I was a little nervous, but you know my team helped me calm my heartbeat down, and you know all in all I felt really good throughout the past couple of weeks as well. And you know thinking back at that, it's just that was just a warm up. You know now is is real and I'm in the moment now. You at that
1: point in your career, you weren't really hitting a whole lot. You're mostly just pitching, and, and not many pitchers. Have also been regular hitters for Coach Walton, so I'm curious, what did you do to convince him to get you in the lineup, starting really in your, your junior year?
0: I don't know that it's any much of convincing. Um, we had conversations about me getting to the lineup and executing more for the team, and I just had to get better. That's that's what it came down to. And you know, as a pitcher, like you said, not many pitchers do hit, but you know, like I said, I grew up playing in the field and. And playing an offense. So I just wanted to get better in order to get in the lineup. And eventually I earned a spot. And I'm glad that I'm able to hit and execute more for my team.
1: Coach Walton's talked a lot about how dynamic your senior class is in the sense that you guys have done so many things. You've kind of been through every different route you can go through over a career. You're also now one of just two classes in the history of the SEC to win four straight softball titles uh, is that something that, that you've reflected on a lot or, or maybe down the road you'll look back and you'll realize what an incredible accomplishment that was?
0: I think it's one of those things that like I'm taking in now and it's, a, it's just an amazing accomplishment, but we won the FCC, um, four times and you know, in the back of our minds, you know, we're still not done. It's, it's not enough. So we're, we're playing with a chip on our shoulder and we're hungry. Like I said, and it's definitely something we're going to look back on as we get older, but you know, in the moment now, our season's not over. So. SEC title or not, we still have more business to take care of.
1: I know you're in the moment, so I'm, I'm sorry for uh, for making you reflective here. But uh, I'm curious, when you think about the people that you've played with and the ones that came before you, which teammate do you feel like you learned the most from over the course of your career?
0: I've looked up to Lauren Hager and how like fierce she was as an athlete and a person. She just did her own thing all the time. And she was just herself and did whatever it took in order to perform at her best level and did whatever she could to help others perform at, at their best. And as a person, too, she was one of my best friends. And Kelsey Stewart, who's actually my roommate now, um, taught me a lot. She plays with a lot of grit, and I admired that from her. So, um, you know, in the circle, too, she was my second baseman. She was my shortstop. So she would always come to me and give me little words of wisdom and make me laugh and keep it light while I was in the circle. So I learned a lot from both of them. Obviously, there was a lot of girls who I learned a lot from, but Lauren Hager and Kelsey Stewart, I'd have to say, definitely leave a mark on my career as, you know, as a freshman and sophomores while they were here.
1: When you think about players you've then helped, people who you've had an impact on as you've become an upperclassman and a leader, who do you think you've had the, the biggest impact
0: on? You know, Natalie, one of our freshmen, I can tell you has came up to me and told me that you know I've helped her along the road with her with my words and just helping her in the bullpen and, and telling her how the ropes are and and just telling her to, to just stay within herself and you know she's here for a reason so there's no reason to not be yourself because that's who they recruited you for for Natalie so she's came up to me we've had some conversations and I feel like I've had an impact on her. Um, It's hard to, you know, I don't want to put any words in her mouth though, <laughs> but she's definitely, yeah, she's definitely came up to me and told me that I've helped her a lot. So that's humbling for sure to know that I've been able to give help to other players um, as a senior, um, knowing that, you know, other players have given me that same amount of help when I was just a freshman or a sophomore. So I think it's really cool. And I've also learned some things from other players um and other seniors while I'm still here. So it's, of a circle. We've all learned from each other.
1: I know there's still more memories that you're you're hoping to make, specifically uh, out in Oklahoma City, but thinking Mm -hmm. about what you've done and the the bevy of accomplishments, what are the most enduring memories that you have from your time as a Gator?
0: Obviously, winning the national championship, there's no other feeling like that feeling. I remember the last out, I was in the dugout, just just cheering for Lauren Hager. I actually fell over the dugout because I was so excited. (laughs) I fell over. I'm still looking for that video, by the way. And I was just, there's just so many tears of joy. And it's it's crazy to think about because I was just so happy in that moment and and happy for everybody. But there's been so many different memories throughout the years, not only with softball, but from the memories that we've made outside of the field, because we've all been so close. Um, We're with each other every single day. I mean, even off the field, like, I have my teammates like in the living room right now waiting for me to call the phone so we can like hang out and stuff but we're always together and we make like fun memories all the time so um it's it's hard to just choose one but I can definitely say that winning national championship was pretty high on my list.
1: A few weeks ago you were drafted by the Chicago Bandits have you thought a lot about Mm -hmm. what you're going to do as a professional in terms of playing both ways you're just going to maybe specialize in one how much thought have you given that to this point
0: I haven't given it a lot of thought only because I've pitched play defense and hit and that's what I want to do so it's not really in my mind to just like be a pitcher or just be like an outfielder or a hitter I want to be able to you know give my team whatever they need um as far as what I can do so if they need me to do they need me to pitch I can pitch but I'm looking to help in any way that I can and um obviously I'm going to play for Puerto Rico too so mm-hmm. I do all three with them so I'll be practicing all three and wherever they put me is where they put me because there's so many great players on the team and I'm really excited to have the opportunity to play with them. I wanted to ask you about
1: Puerto Rico because you mentioned earlier that your dad is originally from Puerto Rico and I know you got mm-hmm. involved with their national team so can you talk about that experience and, and what that's meant to you?
0: been a great ride. I've been on the team for I want to say six years and we've qualified for some different things. We've won medals. I'm really most excited about playing this summer because you know we're going to get a chance to qualify for the Olympics and that's obviously a huge deal but you know playing for something greater is always an honor and to represent Puerto Rico and the people and little girls who look up to us is truly amazing and You know, we're going to go to Japan this summer, California, and we're going to Columbia. So it's going to be a long ride, a long summer, but I'm really excited to compete with, you know, both Chicago and Puerto Rico and just uh, play for something greater.
1: I know you probably don't have a lot of time to to do this anymore, but since you're from the Orlando area, naturally everyone thinks about the theme parks. So I'm curious, are are you a Disney person? Are you a Universal person? Are you about SeaWorld? Where do you fall in that debate?
0: Every, I'm an everywhere person. I'll go to I went to SeaWorld last year. I went to Disney not too long ago. Um I'm actually trying to go to Aquatica this summer, the oh, wow. theme, uh, the water park yeah. that SeaWorld has. That'll be fun, but I'm I'm an every, everywhere person. I like Universal. I like Busch Gardens too Yeah. in Tampa. Yeah. Have you ever been on Chicra?
1: Oh yeah, Chicra's incredible. Yes. Do you have any favorite rides or things in Orlando? Do you have like a favorite thing in Orlando of all the parks that you love to do the most?
0: I think Tower of Terror and Aerosmith are both my favorite rides at Disney.
1: You're you're a Hollywood Studios kind of girl. Yeah,
0: absolutely.
1: Okay. <laughs> I can't I can't absolutely. argue with either one of those. Um, okay, yeah. final thing for you. We'll bring you back to softball, uh, and then we'll let you go hang out with your teammates. Super Thank you regionals, so much, Adam. <laughs> so super regionals. It's A You're very familiar with them. Obviously, you played them three times at home already this year. What are your expectations for this matchup and what can you take from your previous series against them?
0: You know, we played them regular season three times and one, all three games, but you know, the a whole different animal. So, you know, we still can't take them lightly. We're going to do our best to scout and to watch old video of this year and just try to prepare. They have, they have a couple different pitchers, so we're really preparing for, for everything. So we're going to do that and, and use what we have, use our knowledge, and use our talent and what we have to get some runs on the board and hopefully come out with a win. Well, you
1: should know that Gator Nation is very excited about Supers. They're hoping to get you to the World Series, and uh, we certainly wish you a lot of luck this weekend and beyond.
0: Thank you so much.
1: And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow be sure to support softball as they host texas a and starting thursday night at seven on espn and follow baseball's run through the scc tournament on the scc network we'll be back next thursday with an all-new episode so don't miss it until then i'm adam schick and i'll see you at super regionals